You're listening to Hats, Tats, and Stats Podcast on the BICBP Radio Network with your hosts, EZD Derek Jaws, T-Wave Taylor Sekatersky, Big Diesel Nick Yelich, Bold Claim Ben Yelich, and Austin Kelm, the Stat Man. Do you like great food, good drinks, and some of the best bar life in Western New York? Then head out to the Union Pub downtown or the Transit Music Lounge in Depew. Looking for a great place to go on game day? The Union Pub offers game day specials for every Bills game as well as a great place to stop before and after every Sabres home game. They also offer beer buckets, wing specials, and more. Do you stick more to the burbs? Are you a music lover? Then check out the Transit Music Lounge, offering live music every Friday and Saturday with some of the biggest names in the Buffalo music scene. Hit them up on Taco Tuesday or check out Burger Thursdays for the best burgers in Western New York. Both locations offer some of the best food you've ever had and a great sports and music bar atmosphere. And now, they offer catering for the holidays, too. For the most up-to-date news on the Union Pub and the Transit Music Lounge, find them on Facebook and never miss a beat. That's the Union Pub, located at 38 Swan Street, across from the ballpark, and the Transit Music Lounge at 4723 Transit Road in Depew. Stop out, have a drink, and enjoy some great food today. The Transit Music Lounge and the Union Pub are proud sponsors of Hats, Tats, and Stats podcast. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to a brand new episode of Hats, Tats, and Stats, a championship caliber podcast based in Buffalo, New York, talking about pro sports. I am EZD, a.k.a. Derek Jaws, a.k.a. Chris Cage. I got all the names in the world. I am joined by the master of the statistical stuff, Austin Kelm. What's up, buddy? Oh, dude, that was it was quite the interest there. Championship caliber with the nicknames, might I add. Yeah, uh, championship caliber pro sports podcast is the new branding for the show. Uh, decided to change that up a little bit, updated the logo on the social medias. Um, the last couple of weeks, the Yelich boys have been filling in because I was out of town last week and the week before I was just too damn busy. Um, the week before that, I'm pretty sure T wave was back in the fold and now bringing you back in We're we're going, we're, you know, picking up the pace again and getting back to it. So, uh, with the new branding is my championship belt like in the mail or is, is it on its way to my house or, uh, there there are currently two championship belts floating around my life that I have yet to get a hold of. One is a fantasy football one that I, I feel like I'm one win away. And that win is making is, is the win that makes the playoffs for me. Cause my team always does well in those playoff weeks. It just, I don't quite get there. I'm like, I've been like it, the first team out the last two weeks or late years. It's, it's currently in my possession right now. It does not belong to me uh, just being the champ last year, but now it's, it needs to get to Moff. Our buddy is the champion. I need to get it over to him. But it really, it's, it was your idea to create the championship yeah. belt for the championship. That, that was, I mean, our fantasy league now has been going on for since uh, Yeah, I mean, a long time. 17, yeah. good Lord, 17 years. Yeah. We've been in this fantasy league. And, and, uh, and for the longest time, it, it was for nothing other than pride. And then. Right. Well, and technically it's still a pride because there's no money involved. It's literally right. just us being able to rag on our lifelong friends uh, as often as possible. Well, and then uh, we ended up going and doing, we had, we got like an old school, like plastic and foam million dollar man belt out of irony because it was originally the poor college kids fantasy football league. Right. And That's why there was like, no money involved in it because no, none of us had any money to put on fantasy football. <laughs> right. But we all wanted to play. And then it was like, right, right, right. Uh, hey, Yahoo's free. Let's do that. Yeah. And then it was, you know not poor college kids, but poor adults now, or something like our first couple of years out of college. And, you know, then finally, like, we finally all kind of had jobs and stuff, but like, we, we liked the fact that it's not for money, but we wanted to play for something a little bit more tangible. So 
we had the belt made and that was everybody chipping in. It's, it's a, it's a really nice belt too. It's, it's, it's legit. It's yeah. a really nice, like legitimate championship WWE style, except it says fantasy football across the front of it. Yeah. And then uh, the, uh, there's actually a very, very similar one that is sitting in Taylor's basement currently that was created between me, him and Matt uh, when this podcast first originated and we were just going to put different challenges up to it. And then whoever like won the challenge, won the belt. The first challenge was the weight loss challenge that um, Matt ran away with. And <laughs> I, I think we did one for like the, maybe the hockey playoffs the one year and Taylor won it. And that's why it's in his basement. We haven't done anything since, but yeah, but that just because I have not won a championship belt does not mean this is not a championship caliber podcast. Okay. I pride myself right. in the quality of what we do. <laughs> I work hard at this, you know. Listen, I, I agree with you. So I'm with uh, you. You're, you're the man here. This, this, we're, your, dirt, your world, we're all just living in it. Pretty much. All right. Um, yeah. So that, that's what's going on. We, uh, first and foremost, man, like we, I haven't been on a podcast talking about football in since before the Super Bowl. Uh, you haven't been on since the Super Bowl. What'd you think? I was just gonna say, game? It's, it's, it's been a hot second, right? Um, you know what? It was. It was. I thought the game was fine. I found myself personally being less interested in this year's Super Bowl. Um, honestly, for no other reason probably than I wasn't rooting against Tom Brady. Because, you know, like in, in, in most of my adult life and the times that I've spent watching football, he's been in like 50% of the Super Bowls that I've watched right, like ever. More. <laughs> it's, just, it's just like it's some unrealistic Madden uh, statistic that nobody does but Tom Brady. So I spend most of my adult life rooting against him in the Super Bowl. So I really had something like a, a deep-seated hatred. You know what I mean? That was I was rooting against him all the time, um, which leads to elation when he loses only a couple of times. And then, you know, a really crappy Monday when he wins. Yeah. So uh, having neither one of those things in, honestly, I didn't have a dog in this fight. I like Stafford. I was pumped when he got out of Detroit. And it was like, you know what, man, you're winning this one for – Barry Sanders and Kelvin Johnson and every other talented player that's ever been stuck in Detroit Lions yeah, football here. Uh, right. But whatever, like championship <laughs> now, and it's yeah, fantastic. And, yeah. and I like Burrow and in Chase and they're, they're young, high flying offense. I don't like the fact that they're going to be in the AFC for, you know, the next 10 years, which is kind of a bummer as a Bills fan, but here we are. True. And, uh, you know, I, I agree with you. I, I didn't have a who I wanted to win more. I mm -hmm. didn't care who won because I liked both teams, like you said. Um, didn't have, didn't have a dog in the fight. And I, I felt it was tough to root for it because as I watched that game and some of the things that happened, especially early in the game, I was like, you're telling me that we couldn't have beaten one of these, either of these two teams. I, I said that several times while watching the game that I'm like, the bills would have beaten either one of those teams soundly. Yeah. So like, sound like, I, like, I don't think it would have been a good game. I think no. we could have crushed them. No. And we I really do. We, we it, it just so happened that we went against uh, Patrick Mahomes on a really, really good day. And I mean, if he if he made a third of the mistakes that he made against the Bengals, against the Bills, the Bills bowl, that came out too. You know what it is? I just think the, the Bengals have one of those rosters that match up against the Chiefs perfectly. You know what I mean? I don't think it was a fluke that they beat the Chiefs earlier in the season and then beat them again in the playoffs. Do you know what I mean? That's just kind of right. how that went. It was just one of those things for me. <laughs> excuse me that like there were just like throws that Mahomes doesn't usually miss that he missed that day like it's not like he was pressured it's not like the coverage was good he just dirted the ball five yards short or sailed it and he didn't do that against us 
And like again, it's not like there was a reason for it. It's not like there was somebody in his face on some of those throws. It was just I like I remember tweeting out about it during the AFC Championship game. Like, where were these throws last week? Right. Like, where were these mistakes last week when he was pretty much just perfect? And you know it, that that's the nature of the game any given Sunday, right? But um, that's why I didn't care as much. It was fun to watch. It was cool to watch a game that I didn't care who won because that, at that point you just could get to watch and enjoy football. Um, honestly, I, I, I think the, the X factor in that game or what that game came down to, and you know me, you know I'm not one of these uh, one call, one play <laughs> type dudes, but it is third and third and ball game, really. And you call a running play behind your worst offensive lineman who is matched up against the best defensive tackle possibly ever. Why? Um, uh, I will add on to that with not Joe Mixon in the ballgame. Right. With your Sam JP Ryan, you know what I mean? Right. You're, you're backup running back yeah. behind your worst offensive playmaker or your offensive lineman. The dude I that mean, when you look at it on, like when you're playing Madden, and the game automatically subs that dude in because the formation calls for your quote unquote spell. Right, halfback. spell like, back. Why yeah, is no, this no. dude on the field? <laughs> That's right. the dude you ran the ball Aaron Donald with behind your worst offensive lineman. Right. Why? Nope. I said the exact same thing. I listened to a passing situation, something like that. Or I don't know if it's like gamesmanship where they're like, oh, well, when P Ryan's in, then, you know, they're throwing it. So to like throw them off. You know what I mean, you can't always do the same thing with the same formations because then guys catch on to that. But in that situation, like if you knew you're going to run, you put your best players on the field and your best formation, and then you want to go, hey, my guys versus your guys, let's go. Right. You didn't. You did. You want your weakness and your backup against their best. I, no, I'm not surprised you lost that battle. I, you know both, what I mean? It's both teams actually like it looked. Both teams at one point looked like the my issue with some of Brian Dable's calls this year was. Agreed. I don't care that you can't run the ball at the middle, but I do care that you keep trying. Like they both teams had success getting to the edge, like let, let your dude get to the edge, find the hole and hit it. And then again, with the game on the line, it was nope. Like 22 belly or 22 trap. Let's go. What? And, and the guard you ran behind was so bad against the best player in the league defensively, possibly arguably that Donald beat him on an outside shade got his arm around the waist of your running back and pulled him back with basically one arm. He didn't yeah. have to drive him backwards. They didn't meet and square up the shoulder pads and meet in the hole. He literally got him in like a hug with one arm and pulled P Ryan backwards. Yeah. And, and, and Brock, <laughs> like I just, I, as soon as I said it, I looked at um, Mr. Yelich. So Ben and Bolt claim Ben and big diesel's dad, who's was who we were watching the game with. I looked at him. I was like, that was as dumb of a play call as, not handing the ball to Marshawn Lynch in, on first in ball game from the one. Like you have the best in the game and you're not going to use them. this one. You like you, you have your spell halfback going against the worst, like w- going behind your worst offensive lineman against like at the best player they have. And, and they didn't try like no misdirection. No, no straight like, hand fake turn around again. Yeah, right. Exactly. No, you didn't fake the jet sweep or the end around with Chate. Like they did nothing. They just lined up eye formation and gave it to the backup running back and he got stuffed. And really th- that's fine. I, and you can argue, well, if Mixon would have been in or if a different, you know, whatever it's a hindsight's always 2020. My issue with the very next play that officially ended their season 
And I got several text messages about this immediately. Like I said it out loud. And then right after I said it 30 seconds later, I got several text messages going, you tried now he's pressured. It wasn't an accurate throw. He was like being spun down to the ground. He just kind of like threw it out into the flats. You're peering there. You literally watch the ball fall right in front of you. It landed one foot away from it was right in front of him. You didn't dive. You didn't make it like that's your season and the Super Bowl. That like that's the last play of your year is letting that ball that's, fall. That's what's even worse right in front of you. It like not just the season. That's the championship. That's it. That's everyone's right. season. And you just watched I, it hit, hit the ground at your feet. Right. And now I'm not saying he was gonna catch it. You know what I mean? Better but effort. like, Better exactly, effort. exactly. Put your arms out. Like, I don't care if you flail yourself to the ground, make some sort of attempt to catch the ball. He literally just came in and watched it fall right in front of him. And then like hung his head. Uh, yeah, and, no shit. I, I don't know what to tell you. It's, and the, the worst part about it is like that play makes your third down play that much worse. Because if you watch that play from a different angle, Jamar Chase had Jalen Ramsey open. absolutely roasted, just cooked. And, but like, because you were in a situation where you're running that play, where the strongest part of that defense, which is a very good defense was able to just pin its ears back and go get you. And you're the most sacked quarterback in history almost. And, oh, and your knee hurts because you gotten, you've gotten hit so many damn times. You're not probably as quick as you could be like, well, that was that, the whole that thing. third down play is a huge deal now. I listen, I said it during our mock draft that I thought for sure what made the most sense to them. And they, listen, this is not the current NFL. This is not how teams. And I understand that I didn't have them taking chase, even though all the experts said they were going to and kudos to the experts in this one. They actually got it right. Everybody had them taking Jamar Chase. I thought they should have taken Penny Sewell and just taken that big beefy lineman and bolstered their line because he was the most sack quarterback last year. I'm pretty sure he was the most sack quarterback this year. He, the Titans set an NFL single game playoff record. They sacked him nine times in that game. Like he just and lost. got abused. Right. I know. Unbelievable. Now you can make the argument. Hey, if they didn't have chase, they wouldn't have gotten to the Super Bowl, which is a very valid argument. I think it's yes. an excellent point. I do find it ironic though, that it was quite literally their offensive line that cost them though. Exactly. You know what I mean? Like the weakest part of their team that everybody knows is the O-line. And that's what cost you, them the Super Bowl. Even if you didn't like go and get that guy. So maybe, maybe, maybe Chase was the right pick. And I mean, they made the sure. Super Bowl. So right. maybe, maybe it's hard to argue, right? No, I get you. Right. But you didn't do anything in free agency to try to bolster the position either. And then when you know, you have to throw the ball, you didn't do anything to slow the rush down. Like right. you, you just went, we're going to go our five on their four and hope it works. And again, the draft pick worked. Char- Jamar Chase had like called game on Jalen Ramsey, right, yeah, like, right. who, who had had him very, on very ice skates. Year. Like he the dude was on down. his face, like yep. on the on the turf. Like I could have hit. He was so wide open, I could have thrown him the damn ball. But right. guess what? You can't throw the ball when you're getting tackled by Aaron Donald. Right, <laughs> and that's what it was, yeah. and that's what it was. That he they blew right through your offensive line, which you knew they were going to do. I don't know. Nobody in the backfield to chip. Nobody helping out. Just yeah everybody out and end of the game yeah so uh, and then just I, pouring salt in the open wound p ryan not diving for that ball drives me nuts that just yeah. from an effort and a coaching standpoint that that frustrates me yeah i definitely agree with you there um so i mean good game all around the commercial sucked halftime show was bomb that was great 
I love it. You know what though? And there's so many people like basically if you're over the age of 44, you were like, oh my God, worst halftime show ever. That was an embarrassment to halftime shows ever. And then everybody who's like in their mid thirties is going, that might be the greatest halftime show I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> Listen, it's not, it's, it's not so the greatest. It is definitely a very, very close number two. Right. To the one that had like Britney Spears, NSYNC, Nelly and the Backstreet Bull or uh, an Aerosmith or whatever that was like that one. I think it was like, oh, one. Right. Is still number one. And I'll take what they just did this year over the, I don't know, what was it? You two that damn near put me to sleep. It's, you know, the thing was, it's the, I've seen a lot of people arguing that like the halftime show of this year, maybe because it was hip hop and R&B, whatever it was, um, that it didn't make you want to get out of your chair and dance. That that was their knock on it. And I'm like, do you really during a Super Bowl halftime show, get up in your living room and start dancing? Like, I don't, I've never done that in my life. Is that a normal thing that people do? Like, I, yeah, I normally I've, I've never don't. seen it. Right. That's what I'm saying. So so I made you want to, and this one did not. So you hated it. I, all right. I guess if that's how you want to roll, whatever it's. So I thought it was, I thought it was fine. I, I enjoyed it. I was, I thought Eminem was going to do real slim shady, but he decided to go with eight mile. I mean, that's fine. That's all good. He he's become far more like he, he broke on the scene as like that comedic, almost parody rapper. And like he, he's definitely taking a more serious tone, which I believe he wanted to all along. Sure. Um, I liked it. I liked the, uh, you know, I, I liked that they did forgot about Dre, especially like when with, with Dre and Snoop Dogg there, how do you not? People <laughs> up in arms are like, oh my God, Snoop Dogg smoked weed before he performed. Duh. Right. <laughs> I'm sorry. Like what? Like, have, you, have you been living under a rock for the last about? 20 years? Right. Gee, that's that's like saying oh the rock cut which by the way the rocks promo before the game was awful probably the worst mic work he's ever done i i wasn't a fan of it either and it, well, at some point I, and i get the fanfare it's the super bowl i i get it at some point i was like can we start the game right. please there was an awful lot of like pre-game just nonsensory that i just couldn't i couldn't handle it so like he comes out there does his finally the super bowl like okay great like in they did something similar the week before with with one of the buffer brothers like let's get ready to rumble like the teams are lined up they're in kickoff formation and the right they were on the just, field yeah rock, like two and a half minutes the rock just on a tangent about nothing yep like i don't know if that was mistimed or whatever but it didn't feel like pregame i was no. like oh good they're on the field getting ready for kickoff oh the rocks on tv Oh, okay. I almost wonder if he just, if he didn't go a little off, off script and then just didn't like, just kind of like talked himself into a circle was just like, shit, where do I go? <laughs> how do, how do I end this? Because like, I mean, hopefully I find this when, when he's on WWE, he's quick, he's quippy. Like, but you like, he's also playing off other people playing off the crowd. Can't tell somebody to shut up, bitch. Like, <laughs> you know, like you're not, you're not going to say like, Oh, and, and these two teams are going to line up and try to kick each other's ass. Like, the NFL will be like, can't say ass on TV. Like, right. it just felt out of place. Like, would have been fine if it would have just been like a, a quick, like Bruce Buffer did or Michael Buffer, whichever one was what it was. Like, the quick, like, let's get ready to rumble thing. Two and a half minutes. Legitimately just, I'm, a, I'm just like, I'm just going to you know put my I microphone think? in my eye for a second. Like it's, it was, it was LA and it was very Hollywood and I yes. get it. You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have mind them doing. And again, maybe it was timing. Maybe it was a, a, a goof who knows, but I don't know you've seen it that when you watch either uh, sometimes when you watch playoff games and or national championship games, they'll get somebody that either went to that team school or somebody who's from that state to do kind of like a, 
what it means to be a insert team fan here. Right. Thing. Like, so like I'm in my head, I'm going like, okay, when Texas was in the national championship game, I mean, several years ago now, it, like, it was a whole thing with like Matthew McConaughey walking around in, you know, cowboy boots and being right. very Texas. I mean, just talking about him being a lifelong, like what it means to be from Texas and the pride and stuff that they have in the Longhorn football and hook them horns and all, you know what I mean? And then when it's USC, I, I don't know, they kind of went the other way with it and it was Will Ferrell. Right. He graduated from USC and like was a Trojan fan, his whole, you know what I mean? He like yeah. put the sword in the ground and the whole thing. Like that was cool. It was obviously a commercial where you didn't have 80,000 screaming fans. It wasn't a promo right. on the field. It was also done at 6.05 when the game was going to start at 6.15, not starting at 6.40 when the game was supposed to start at 6.15. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like it just kept going. But yeah. I'm like, I thought kickoff was, well, was like going to be like 6.30. And instead well, it, it was almost seven. I was like, Jesus. And here's the problem with it. Like you can't do that with LA because, okay, find, find somebody famous in LA. That's not hard. None of them are from LA. Find a, yeah, well, find a diehard yeah. LA fan. What are they going to say? Which, which team we have a football team. <laughs> there's a game tonight. You have like, two. There's like nine fans in L- There's nine LA fans in LA from LA. That's it. Why they have two teams, why they have nine pro sports franchises is a, I think it's like seven, but still it's, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. It's like I, there was some statistic that I, I forget what I, exactly what I read, but that it was like, like over 95% of the people who were at the Super Bowl are not from LA. Right. They're from everywhere else. They're corporate sponsors, yeah. they're, you know, but team officials, that type of stuff. It's, and I that's would, always been the case. I was going to say, I, I feel like that would be par for the course, but I mean, there are general like lay people tickets. Like imagine, imagine a Super Bowl in Buffalo. People be getting right. shot over tickets. Even right. if Buffalo wasn't playing in it, there people would be getting shot over those tickets. But, but, I, I, but I agree with you that if Buffalo was in it, I think there'd be, I bet hard. you a, a third to 50% of the stadium would be Bills fans. I don't oh, care God, what yeah. the cost is. People, people would go. Yeah. People would find a way. That's what I mean. Yeah. yeah. So that's all in all. It was all right. There, there were a couple of commercials that had me, had me laughing. The, there the was baby a commercial I liked. Yeah. The there was a E-Trade coin with the, like the, the logo that bounced around the screen. Like that had us on our, oh, our seat the whole time. Right. Like, I was like, I was like, get the corner. Hit the corner. And like my father in law was like, What are you talking about? I'm like, It's got to hit the corner. Do you not understand this? Hit the corner. <laughs> like, and the best part was whoever wrote that commercial needs to start writing commercials for everybody because that could not have been simpler, more engaging, <laughs> and hilarious. You know what the dumb thing is? Is that spot still cost them like $7 million. Like, it was a 30 second commercial of the cube bouncing around the yeah, screen. The dude said, This whole commercial is going to cause you, cause you $7 million, $100. Right, right. Because that's all it cost them. I'll make it. this. You pay the yep. $7 million to like, there you go. <laughs> it took you know what I like? The, the one, and really, it's honestly, it probably hits me personally because we're watching it right now. So my wife and I are watching Curb Your Enthusiasm. Right. So on HBO Max. And uh, Larry David was in that commercial where it's, it's him all, all throughout history. And he's in different okay. makeup as he's going. But every time somebody else comes up to him with a really good idea, like it starts off with like him saying, oh, I have this idea about a wheel that'll help us like transport more. And he's like, eh, I don't think the wheel's a good idea. That's yes. not the direction we're going. And it was him just saying no to really good ideas all throughout history until it finally ends up with somebody going like, hey, I have this great investment, whatever. And he's like, eh, that's not a good idea. That's not. Uh, yeah, I've, I, I have a mind for these things. And it's just him being wrong throughout yeah. all of history about good I, ideas. I like I like that one, too. I didn't, so see, one, I, didn't and I didn't realize that was a Curb Your Enthusiasm thing, but. Well, it's just Larry David, he created Seinfeld, so that's what he's biggest for, but he's got 13 seasons of Curb Your Enthusiasm that, like I said, we just coincidentally have been watching it recently. Right. And then we saw him in a commercial, so I don't know if that's, I don't know, pop culture, it's, it's coming back, right? I don't know, it's yeah. a thing. 
everything comes comes back around, which is a great segue because you know what's coming back around, the USFL. I was going to say not baseball season, unfortunately, no. but yeah, 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 USFL, you got it. USFL, buddy. Oh man, listen. For my money, there can't be too much football. I agree. Listen, I would I would watch it seven days a week, and I'm not joking. I legitimately would do that. I I'm intrigued to see it. Um, it's an eight team league, so they have two divisions. The North has the Michigan Panthers, the New Jersey Generals, the Philadelphia Stars, the Pittsburgh Maulers, and then the South has the Birmingham Stallions, the Houston Gamblers, the New Orleans Breakers, and the Tampa Bay Bandits. I am a Houston Gamblers fan officially. I, I was with you when you said it on Facebook. I, I was on that train with you because just I mean, really, just from Jim Kelly. If I'm being honest, it's really yeah. Even though he chose he chose the gamblers over Buffalo, I would still I'm like, all right, I can be a gamblers fan. Well, I, I, I like the color scheme. I don't know. It, it, it's a cool look. It's a cool look. I, that's really what I went with. Like, right, who's who do I think has the cool like the the Michigan Panthers with like this soft golden powder blue? Like the New Orleans the New Orleans Breakers isn't bad, but like okay, so your your New Orleans and your logo is a tidal wave. Isn't that like, isn't like Tulane, like Tulsa, aren't they like the wave or something like that? Literally, it's just, it's a wave of water with like two eyes on it. Yeah. And a face. Like, like they're literally just like the wave. It's all it is, which is yeah. odd. So, uh, and they, at the time of this recording, they just had the first, uh, first day of the draft for the USFL. And the second half will be tonight. So, Wednesday, if you're listening to it. So, we don't have the complete up to date if you're listening to this on Thursday or later. Um, so, each round has positional groupings. So like the first round was just quarterbacks. The next right. So you couldn't have a team load rushers. up on, on one position to, to leave right. nobody else for any other team. Um, so which kudos means, to them from a competition standpoint, honestly, that was, that was, I thought that was a pretty smart idea. Absolutely. Uh, they also use a one of a kind analytical based snake draft order designed to ensure an equitable distribution of talent across the rosters. Um, so the additional rules to that were should a team let its time expire in any round without a selection, it can still choose a player, but it risks letting the team on the clock take the player they were considering. Trades between teams to achieve a different selection order or acquire a player will not be permitted. So once you were given your draft order for the round, that was it. Right. Um, teams can elect to pass during any round in exchange for a comp pick that they can be used at the conclusion of a different positional round. Oh, so if you wanted more receivers instead of like a D lineman. Yes, or I'll take my receivers, right? Or like if they if you want to pass on the tight end position because you don't plan on using one for whatever reason. Right, right. Your offensive scheme doesn't call for it, sure. Um so if why did everybody more, pass in the fullback round? That seems odd to me. Right. <laughs> if more than one team utilizes a comp pick in a given round, the draft order within that position round will determine the order for the comp picks. And the USFL will conduct a 10 round supplemental draft on March 10th to select 80 more players. So that's kind of cool. And really what it is, I mean, they're it's more football and a lot of, so a lot of the guys that are drafted or that were drafted were um, guys that have played in the NFL or went undrafted and locally here, there's a couple guys from Orchard park. uh, I believe Ben, which which I thought was kind of cool. Yeah. And, um, can't so the the usfl playoffs and championship game are coming are going to be played in canton which is really cool right where the pro football hall of fame is i was just saying well the, the pro football game the hall of fame game is always pretty cool every year that extra preseason um, game so jeff fisher 
is coaching the Michigan Panthers. Larry Fedora is in New Orleans. Skip Holtz is coaching Birmingham. Kirby Wilson is, is in Pittsburgh. Mike Riley is in New Jersey. Todd Haley is in Tampa. Kevin Sulman, uh, Sumlin is in Houston. And Bart Andrews is in Philly. So there's those are your coaches, uh, which is pretty cool. I mean, there's there, I mean, there's names there that were NFL guys. And just kind of, a, I mean, it's, it's a cool concept. More football, in my opinion, is not a bad thing. Right. I, I'm with you. And really, there, it's it's I think it's kind of cool that they're going to use it like to test out rules. They're going to kind of use it as like a training platform for implementation and for things in the NFL. Well, so that is a great idea. What's up? Oh, the, I, I thought the they were doing it for, I thought they were doing it for both. I thought that both the um, XFL and the USFL were doing the same thing. I mean, they may. Um, I can tell because, you that because some rules aren't going to mesh well, like together. Right. So I thought they so you would do A and you would do B because A and B at the same time don't make sense. Do you know what I mean? So they would try both of them to see which one worked better. So uh, I'm not sure on that, but the I might have misread it. I thought I thought that's what I read, but I I, I, I could be wrong. So I know for a fact that that's an XFL thing because that was a huge thing. Like the Rock posted everyone. Now we're, apparently we're talking about the Rock a lot today, <laughs> but uh, he posted that online that like he's he's basically like engineered a deal to test out like rules and other like other thought like game management stuff that they wanted to try to implement um the usfl is using a rule system that's a hybrid between the nfl and college football the real difference in the rules is regarding clock stoppage but i don't actually have that in front of me of like what that rule actually is um i mean this it's gonna be fun and i hope it survives that's the big one and it, it looks like I mean, they're only using two venues uh, they're only using like two, two stadiums. So they're cutting down on travel costs. You know, the teams will be based in certain cities where they practice and do their thing, but like games will only be played. It looks like at two different locations, I believe is from what I'm seeing, you know, so they're, they're just trying to just do more and like do more, but do less at the same time. Right. Which is, is again, is, is a good thing. Like, I'm, I'm with you that there's no such thing as, as too little football. I would watch it year round. You oh, know yeah. what I mean? Nothing needs, nothing needs to compete with the NFL. They can do it, you know, mid February to springtime. You know what I mean? Like, I would, I think that's their, their best option for viewership. I think people would watch all the time. We were talking the other day at work, um, even with no MLB. Um, ESPN plus has got like 2,200 college baseball games on. We're watching it literally for hours every day where we just got it on in the background. It's fantastic. There's great matchups. All the players are getting more, um, exposure from a national audience. It's really been great watching colleges from all over the country play their, their, their weekday games and their doubleheaders on Sundays and Saturdays. Um, it's been good. So even without baseball, something else is filling that niche. So yeah. I feel like this, it's kind of the same thing. When the NFL ends and the Super Bowl is over, maybe a couple of weeks or whatever, no no time in between. They just go yeah. to town and just start the next league. And because, I mean, it's pretty boring right now anyways. It's, it is. And, you know, that, that's one of the things too. Like, And th this is something that baseball could really, like, cripple themselves with is if these two leagues get going through, like, spring and summer, they're gonna, it's going to crush their viewership. MLB has problems with that stuff already. Like right. limiting their players' use of social media, limiting what can be put on social media, like all that stuff, because they're worried about how it's going to look. And I mean, now you're telling me that two other leagues, at least one of which has the support of the NFL, if either of these team leagues survives, and I hope they both do, because, and, and this is really kind of a long term ramification, we haven't seen a secondary football league 
since the last time the USFL was around and what had like a four or five year run. I mean, in the early eighties, like I think it was before we were born because Jim Kelly was drafted into that league and played there for two years. Right. And that was before, like I said, before we were born, (laughs) we're talking 82, 83. Yeah. So, I mean, you, you don't often see the, and we haven't seen it yet. Like there've been a couple of different cracks. Like there was the UFL, the AAFL, the, you know, AUFL or whatever the hell it was. And the, the, the XFL like came and went real quick and now it's back again. Like that whole it's well, the XFL, so the XFL came the first time and it was like, it, it was a convoluted idea. It was basically WWE meets football. I, I loved like the nicknames on the back of the jerseys instead of the real names. Like, you know, like he hate me was the favorite was the most famous one. <laughs> That's the only one I remember. I don't remember anybody else's. No, I remember that one. Like the, the, the scantily clad cheerleaders in the stands and like the pyro and the intros and like a little, little over the top. So much so that they like blew the generator that was supposed to be housing one of their main, um, like main broadcasts, but like teams have learned, like leagues have learned from it. And then like the AAF came out, it was good. It was fun to watch and they ran out of money and because like, and, and COVID hit and then the XFL was doing well and then COVID hit. So like, I'm hoping that these two pan out because really what i think this is going to do if they do if one or both of them stick around is you're going to see guys who maybe don't get drafted in the nfl or don't make like don't make it right away all of a sudden you have like 22 23 24 year olds instead of these 27 to 32 year olds that are you know have been out of the league for a little while have a place to go and play and play some pro style football and kind of like who knows maybe they develop and you know turn into somebody like I mean, how many times do we see a guy that was like a fifth or sixth round draft pick as, especially as a skill position, make it in the NFL? It happens more than you think. And now, so like, so how many guys get missed that could have made it in the NFL, but we'll never know because they have nowhere else to go play. Right. So I, I there, there, there's term, so many times that guys, well, we talk about it and I hate to keep switching sports in it, but we talk about it with worry, baseball all the time. There's just things that uh, you only see on a baseball diamond. You, you, you call the kids a, a baller. You know what I mean? Like he just goes out there and he just plays. And sometimes the, what you see in a gym doesn't always translate to the field. Right. Do you need to see them play in games and see what they do on the field? And I feel like football is the same exact thing. I mean, yes, you're in a field, you're going through drills, there's padded practices. There's everything that goes into that. But sometimes when it's just like competition and you're on the field on Sundays or Fridays or Saturdays, depending on what level you're playing at, it's just, the guy just shows up and is all of a sudden unbelievable. And you're like, why didn't I see that at practice? Or, you know, the guy only got on the field because of an injury and then is an, un- and is a stud. Yeah. And then that happens all the time in the NFL. Now, all of a sudden you're not going to pay that, that guy who's maybe 29, 30 years old has been a starter for years. You're not going to pay him $12 million because the 22 year old that came in behind you that finally got a crack at the starting lineup because you hurt yourself. Now he's unbelievable. Right. And they're going to, and they're going to move on from that vet. Um, but it happens all the time. But those guys have to see the field, to your right. point. And, so and, letting them be in games and on TV, even better. Let's do that. You know, and, and how many guys do we see, like, our first-round draft picks that don't play, pan out because they're just playing on teams where they're just better than everybody? Where if you have this second and, and or third tier of professional football run by professional football coaches who aren't running gimmick offenses just to win football games. Right. And all of a sudden you're like, hey, this kid who nobody had on their highlight reel, nobody had on their roster because he played at the University of Who Gives a Shit and, you know, nobody's ever heard of State, all of a sudden starts lighting it up. 
like looks good, makes all the throws, and all, like, hey, he's doing this against like decent pro level. Like, maybe he gets a shot next year. Maybe he gets signed as a free agent. You know, maybe there's a a supplemental USFL or XFL draft that teams you know can you know they, they can choose to draft players from the other leagues or pull them up from the other leagues maybe that ends up being a farm system who knows but uh I, i'm i am a firm and honest belief that more more football is not only good for us as fans but it's good for football as a whole because i think it gives more people a chance to show that they belong because i don't think the jump from college to the nfl is easy solely based on the things like you can just get away with stuff in college that you can't get away with in, with in the nfl and we've seen well, it for years. It, it's and it's what we expect now that we're we're a, a, a fan group and a, and a coaching staff of, of what have you done for me lately? And I need you to help right this second. Like quarterbacks used to be able to just sit and chill and, and only a handful of guys would start right away and, and be pro bowlers or help your team get to the next level. And now it's like if you can't win right now, then never mind. Then then just forget you. And I, I don't know when we transition to that. I mean, of course, everybody would like that, but I'm not sure that's a realistic goal rookies get burned all the time you know what i mean it's just it's just the the world we live in right but i mean somebody who was more more coached towards the pro game to your point and and had some experience before they got there i think only helps them that's almost the whole argument of you know do you want to ride the bench at varsity and get in sporadically or play every single inning on jv or every snap football football included sometimes playing is better than practicing with a higher level Right. Do you know what I mean? I, it's, that's just the whole thing. You know, and I mean, the same, the same could be said. I mean, so look at guys that, you know, do do that. The guys that do get drafted, sit three or four years and then get a shot. All of a sudden they're, they come out and they're studs. Well, they had three years to learn the pro game and learn the, like, and see the game at game speed in the NFL, as opposed to the guy who played quarterback at Ohio state that threw for record breaking numbers to receivers who had nobody within 20 yards of them. Like, right. going to do that in the NFL, but Speaking of a lot of baseball being on TV, <laughs> there was, which I love. I love how much college baseball is out there and big fan, big fan. Oh yeah. Love, love watching it. Love seeing it. I, there's a, there's a huge, huge rumbling on baseball Twitter right now. And I love baseball Twitter because baseball Twitter is so unintentionally toxic. It, it's hard. <laughs> like People don't think they're being toxic, but they are. Like people say and do things in the guise of what's good for the game or like how the game should be, or, you know, like, or, or the, on the other end, the game is changing. You old man, get out of the way. Like, well, that's, that's the whole thing. It's, it's baseball progressives versus baseball traditionalists and purists as they're called. And they don't want anything about the game to change. And it's been the same for 140 years. Why are we making changes to it now? When, Really, that's a that's a convoluted argument in and of itself because baseball has always changed and adapted from from the mound distance to the mound height to the you know what I mean. There's a bunch of things that have changed the, about the, the game of baseball. The hardness of the core of the ball, the tightness of the stitching, uh, of the ball, right? The, the the height of the stitches on the ball. I mean, so many minuscule little stupid things that change year to year. Um, you know, and I love the argument of like, oh, Babe Ruth would have destroyed these pitchers, you know, in this day and age. I don't know. I love Babe Ruth and like, we all, like we all respect the shit out of him. Babe Ruth was an overweight drunk who wasn't facing guys throwing 105. <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> that, that's, that's, it's one of my favorite Daniel Tosh bits that he talks, he's talking about Babe Ruth and he's like, 
he's talking about that Babe Ruth should have an asterisk next to his name. And he's like, maybe you're asking me why he goes, he goes, how dare you be able to break records before black people were allowed to play baseball? He's like, come on now. <laughs> he's like, he's like, maybe he goes, maybe the fat guy would have put the cigar and the beer down. He goes, if CC would have been bouncing him 94 mile an hour sliders, he goes, he might've paid more attention and stopped pointing to the fence. He goes, if he saw some legitimate, unbelievable pitching. Right. So like the, the, so, one- so, so if, if comedians are noticing it, it must be a pretty prevalent, <laughs> you know what I mean? they're finding those niches in there. So one of the most prevalent, if not the most prevalent thing right now um, is the use of wristbands to call signs. And uh, you haven't seen that so much in the pros. They do do it, uh, especially when we're talking pitch calling. Sure. And, you know, for those who don't know a ton about baseball, uh, pitch calling goes either either your catcher does it and, you know, it's kind of on him and the pitcher or like a lot of times they just tell the catcher, like, let the pitcher call his game. So like you put down a sign and let him just get to what he wants to throw and let him throw it. And that a lot of that comes from a relationship between a pitcher and a catcher. But nowadays there's a lot of coaches who call pitches and that's based on, you know, based on the analytics, based on the data, like, Oh, we know for a fact that this dude, when, when you, when you pitch him a certain way only hits one twenty five which is cool because he's a career 200, like 290 hitter. Right. Like if we can pitch him a certain way, we're going to like diminish that number. So we're going to call pitches based on the data that we have at at our hands. So you see these guys wearing these quarterback style wristbands where, you know, they look to the bench, they get their sign, they peek down they make their call, they pitch. And that's where it started. Vanderbilt. I don't know. Have you seen these? Have you seen the electronic wristbands? No, I've not. That's I mean, but Vandy's so, like a, a baseball powerhouse. They're a perennial. So Vandy has all nine players on the field that have an electronic wristband on, which the NCAA allows as of this year. Where I was gonna coach, say MLB could they couldn't wear Apple watches. Now Vandy's got well, so, so what it is laptops on their wrists. It's a closed circuit system that only they can it, like there's one controller and nine wristbands. So they plug in what they want. And all nine guys can look down, see the pitch that's called and the location. So they can adjust where they're standing and how they're playing accordingly without like, I mean, we've all done it. Like I'm sitting there. Okay. So this dude is a dead pull hitter and I just got him to swing through a fastball for it's, it's and two. I'm going curveball away. And all of a sudden like, all right, middle infielders go here. Uh, so-and-so back up and shade the line outfielders like no doubles like that, that type of thing. Where right. this is just or or hand signals, you get somebody's attention and you're waving them one way. You know yeah. what I mean, or whatever. This is literally boop, boop, boop. nine guys look down, nine guys adjust, and here we go. And I'll tell you what, baseball Twitter is in a tizzy about it because it's taking the the thought process out. It's it's taking the you know um, the knowledge of the game out of it and stuff like that, and it's like. It's it's interesting. I I think it's, you know, I don't know how it takes the knowledge out of the game. Your your third baseman's not. He doesn't know what pitch is being thrown, anyways. So he's just standing there. Do you know what I mean? Like you can try to remember what the guy did last, or or you know where he went, or maybe look at his swing and be like, all right, he he looks like he's trying to pull the ball, but the pitcher throws him low and away, so he's going oppo anyways. He's not going to pull the ball. You know what I mean? So it's just you're out there guessing. Well, so what a lot of colleges have started doing now is they expect all of their players, if they're if the 
if the call is coming in like a, a visual signal, um, you know, and by visual signal, I, I understand that we're a, a, an audio podcast. So a visual signal being like touching the brim of your hat, your nose, your ear, your nose, your ear, brim of your hat, nose, ear, and it means something to somebody right. um, as opposed to a verbal signal. They're expected to look in and see that and know what's being called and adjust accordingly. You're like, oh, right. like, it, it could be as simple as, listen, if we're throwing them outside, shade toward the middle. If you're a shortstop, if not, if we're pitching him inside, shade toward the hole, stuff like that. This is literally, this is where we're pitching him. And, you know, you can, like, you're expected to then, like, because I, okay, I'm a third baseman. I know we're pitching him inside. I'm going to shade toward the line a little bit more. And because he's a big hitter, I'm going to be playing back a little bit because there's two outs and I, I want to give myself time to make this play. Stuff right. like that. And it's funny because the game that it was, it was realized on it and really publicized on Vandy lost. Right. But it's this big deal. Well, what are they going to go undefeated forever? Right. Like <laughs> they're going to lose games. It's right. So that's, that's not proof that it didn't work. But I mean, people are legitimately up in arms, like former pros, especially are just going hard in the paint on it. I asked the question on tip of the caps, Twitter about like, okay, why are people so opposed to this solely like, and and I want a better answer other than either. I just don't like it or anything that equates to it's different. So it's wrong. And I got some, I got some decent answers on this. Um, you know, and, and really what I was, what I was really looking for were, were people like actually, and I said, like, show your work, um, you know, so more than just, just, I don't like it. Okay. Why, why, why don't you like it? Um, I got, it overcomplicates something that should be simple, especially with no one on base. It definitely slows the game down, uh, gives the pitcher and catcher no chance to get in a rhythm together. Uh, it removes the intricate use of creativity when it comes to signals, sign stealing, and noticing your signals have been stolen before it negatively affects your team. Uh, let's see. So I would so so even just right there, I think half of those are moot points. The creativity of sign giving, so nobody steals your signs. They can't steal your signs if they're coming in on your wristband. So that point is totally irrelevant. Do you know what I mean? So I don't have to worry about you stealing my signs and it negatively impacting my team because they can't steal my signs because I'm sending it into the wristbands. So that right there solves that problem. I'm not worried about the, the creativity. I'm not sure that it affects the pitcher and catcher's rhythm. They're doing the same old thing. Uh, he, he's getting a sign and then delivering a pitch. No matter how you slice it, he's just looking at his wrist or he's looking at the catcher. But I understand the old school mentality of having that relationship and that bond between your, your pitcher and your catcher. And I, I don't think it, it slows the game down either. What's different than even with nobody on base, a coach coming out of the, the dugout, walking up the steps and going, whatever we've we've all said it hey shortstop came to you last time hey johnsy bear hard up the middle to you last night like just reminding players where they went last time so that you can shade and do the same thing now i don't have to come out of the dugout and yell it i can just send it to your wristband all it is is effective communicating your your plan to your players or hey guys middle infield turn into corners in hey we have to stop this run from scoring whole infield in like there's many things you yell for defensive positioning now you just don't have to yell them anymore. I don't, it really is just technology advancing to the point where I don't have to scream from the dugout and hope the guy that's 270 feet away from me in right field heard me. So they just, they of, just know, I don't, I don't understand. One, of, one of the first things that I got on this was one of the biggest reasons for me is it slows the game down a ton and it already makes, and it already takes too long. 
it takes a lot of thinking out also, which, and at one point, um, somebody commented, said, not a fan players aren't allowed to think for themselves. The best players have better in-game instincts than their coaches do. Let them, let them be athletes and make the right adjustments based on pitches and know, and know how the game is flowing. I said, okay, what about offensively? Like in place of standard third base signs. So at the high school I coached at for the last 11 years, last year, we went to a signal system like this, where it was a combination of colors, numbers, animals, and like hand signals that included some like um, American sign language. And all it was is like, you'd say like pink 10, the kids would look down, find pink 10. Okay. That's what we're doing. It, uh, first off, it cut down on missed signs. It cut down on, Oh, I didn't know you called that. Or I thought like, you know, one of the biggest things was um, the way the set we used to do signs was the first thing that the, the third base coach touched was the indicator. Then he had to go back to it to give the sign. Then if he wiped it off, the first thing he did after the wipe off became the indicator. And our third base coach had a bad habit of touching the top of his hat to wipe thumb something off and then putting his hands together, then touching something. So the kids were like, well, you did this and then touched your ear. So when you went back to your ear, it didn't mean anything. And like, so it took some of the confusion and miscommunication out of it. Um, and no, nobody has, nobody has actually like answered on the offensive side of things. Um, I go, so I said, you know, I understand that this conversation is based on bandies use of high tech wristbands that show nine guys, the pitch call. I'm curious about the other potential usage. And the answer was baseball in, is also a game of thinking, in my opinion, teaching players like robots just to make it easier to make, is making them have to think less that will hinder the aspect, that aspect of development, especially at the younger ages that, and that I can appreciate like do working this into a 13, U game, probably not the move. Well, my, my whole thing is it's not like you're doing it all the time. Anyways. Now, listen, if Vandy, every single batter is sending something out there to tell guys where to stand, then yes, that would eliminate all the thinking that the players are doing on the field. I wouldn't, I don't, I'm not a fan of that. However, in those specific situations where the coach is looking at, I mean, analytics are, are everything now. So, I mean, I, so we go to that coaching conference or we used to go every year, right? We went probably right. five years in a row. The Coastal Carolina coach who we saw speak, who was phenomenal, by the way, um, they were just coming off a couple of like national championships. So he was like the guy, the room was packed. Everybody wanted to hear this guy speak. He had like things like uh, um, he times everybody's 90s. Okay, so he had the whole speed, and it's on, a, and it's on a chart on the dugout wall. So everybody's got their 90 times on the, on the wall. 60 times? Um, it, it might be 60 times, but he, no, he wanted their breaks from first to second. So he oh, wanted so the full foot. nine. Yes, I'm got sorry. It. Yeah, okay, 90 okay. yard. I'm sorry. Yes, he wanted no, the 90 foot run. You know, how fast to get from first to second, right? Then he timed pitcher knee lift plus catcher pop time. So if the pitcher's knee lift was you know, to delivery was 1.8 seconds and the catcher's pop time was 2.1. You were around four to five seconds. So they had like a math thing that like, if your time is under this for this game, based on this pitcher and this catcher, you have a green light. Right. You don't have to wait for me to tell you to steal this group of guys, because I know your time is faster than the delivery plus pop time. You can just go. If you're right. below that, if you're over that time, you have to have me tell you to steal. Yes. So that's just so, and that's just an uh, an example of the 
I don't know, you can call them hyper analytics. The, the, the math that's involved in that, that's what one coach does, but it's situational. Every game that would change, every game based on the pitcher and catcher you're facing, that, Absolutely. that, that line changes. So that's my point with the defensive stuff. It's not all the time. It's, it shouldn't be every play. It's just for, hey, the big guy's up. I know he's quick, and he's hit, you know, two doubles already. You know what I mean? So I'm going to tell the guys, hey, shade here, move here. I'm Hey, for this guy, he's pulled the ball three times in a row. I'm going to put the shift on this time right. because, of the, because of the inning, the outs, the whatever situation I've deemed it appropriate, I'm going to put the shift on now. That's well, not something that the second baseman reads. You know what I mean? That, that kid right. doesn't make the decision for himself. Hey, I'm going to go stand on the other side of the field. You know what I mean? Right. The kids aren't making those decisions. That's not thinking. The coach has to call that in. Well, and I think that's something that is kind of lost on this is the fact that <coughs> now, and I don't know the intricacies of how much information is on these wristbands. Right. Uh, I know somebody's put like a proto, like a picture of a prototype out there that is like, oh, it's, wor- the, 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 it's called like the K band and it's working to be like the, the new face of, of pitch calling or whatever in baseball. And, you know, it, it's one of those things where I look at it. I'm like, you know, if it's literally just saying like, this is the pitch, like, the pitch we called and where it kind of gives me, you know, it gives me the ability to say like, all right, well, we're, we're going with an O2 curveball and a dead pull hitter. I'm, I'm probably like, I'm going to shade a little bit one way or the other or anything along those lines. And it's funny because in this conversation on Twitter, I got two different people, one saying it slows the game down and another person saying that it actually speeds the game up too much and that it's putting too much strain on pitchers because, you know, it's one thing where, you know, and, and I think the, the slows it down part comes from younger ages with pitch calling wristbands. I, I tried it once for like four games. I hated it. It wasn't, I wasn't a fan. Um, and it does. And it can, it can slow the game down because like I have to find the call that I want to call on my call sheet. Then I have to say it. And then the kid has to like, you know, look at it, like pull it up and then look back at me and say like, eh, like, like, can you do that again? Like, okay, this, and like, Oh, okay. Like, okay. Yeah. That takes a lot of time, but if it's a little bit more simple and quicker, I mean, again, the, the, I, I really, I didn't mind it from our third base coach. I didn't like it from a pitch calling standpoint. I'm sure people are better at it than I am because they still use it. I know. So I know it's huge in softball. Um, I just think it's funny that people on both sides of that argument, like, Oh, here's, <coughs> Oh, it slows the game down. Oh, it speeds the game up too much. Like, pick one you know and uh i don't really know how it slows it down i mean if you were if they were total rubes at it if they were it was just amateur hour where you know you were sending it in and then the shortstop's going what do <laughs> you mean like that that's that would be an issue but as long as everybody understands it and it's on the same page but but that can be the same thing with with manual hand signals you can just as easily get confused if you don't know your signs it would slow the game down when you're trying to sign something in do you know what I mean? Like, so it's just preparation. So I, one of the things that I asked um, the one guy who was replying to me on this was I, I, I asked him, I was like, okay, so like you're sitting here saying like, it takes the thought process out and it takes, you know, the develop, like the mental development out of the game. But then you reference pitch calling as a coach and that like the player has to, like a player shouldn't shake a coach off until he earns the right to shake a coach off. And, but that's something that's earned over time. And blah, blah. so you're still calling pitches. So why does it matter if you're using a wristband or hand signals? If the if, if what you're doing is the same, it's just the application of how you're doing it that's that's different. Correct. 
It's how you're delivering said information. Like why, why is the delivery system under so much scrutiny? And like, that was one of those things where, you know, he, he essentially, like he said, like, listen, like not every, like this is a newer concept. Not everybody uses a wristband at like, generally speaking, most people who can, who play, who are playing baseball in college know how to read. So if you're using a wristband, you can read a wristband, but if you're not, and you've never seen hand signals before, it might like, maybe you're behind development wise on getting a hand signal from the bench. If you're, a, if you're playing for a team that calls pitches and doesn't use a wristband. I was like, okay, and I can understand that. Like, I and that that I can appreciate because that was more than just, I just don't like it or it's different, so it's bad, right? And like, it, it was just a very fascinating conversation to have because, you know, and, and like you said, the the coach from Vanderbilt goes to the, you know, coaching the coach conference or the ABCA or whatever, and people are all over Twitter like, oh my god, this guy is mind blowing. He's amazing. He's fantastic. He's so so good. And then. Now the dude's using wristbands in a game and he's a pariah. Like, well, like, like the, the old, old baseball heads that, as I call them, are like ready to burn this dude at the stake. It's insane. It's, it's, it's just so silly. I mean, and I, and I get baseball traditionalists and it's America's pastime and stuff like that, but it's, I don't know if it's just cause it's in game, you know, uh, training stuff. Fine. You know, oh, we've got, you know, mechanics and breakdown things and things to help our swings or to keep our hands inside or, or to get our hips through the ball. You name it. Uh, you can go in uh, the hit tracks batting cages and see like on a computer screen, like a golf simulator, where the ball goes on the field in real time. No, all that's fine. That, you know, what I mean, no, no, well, we want to do something like that in a game, even just like a fraction of it, of introducing technology into the game. Oh, no, 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 we can't. No, that's not that we can't. You know what I mean? And I, and I can understand if like. So like the coach's van, he's like, okay, I'm going to sign it into the catcher. The catcher is going to have to type into his wristband and then he's going to have to send it to the pitcher who has to read it off his wristbands. And that's how we're going to call every pitch. Okay. That would slow the game down. Do you know what I mean? Right. Like that would be a thing. Every pitch that you were adding 40 minutes onto a, a baseball game that might already be too long as it is. But I mean, just to have everybody in the same page defensively. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I for the for the handful of times that it's called in a game. What do you? I mean, you might maybe maybe you are hypothetically lengthening the game by what three and a half, four total minutes. The handful of times that you're, you know what I mean. I what right. are you talking and about? Like, I I don't even know if these wristbands, like I said, can relay the information of like, hey, we're shifting, like shift right, shift left. Like I'm I'm ninety percent sure right now. It's just showing you what pitch is being called. Like I, I, I could be wrong, but I, I'm pretty sure that's where we're at. Um, you know, I, I just, I'm, I'm fascinated by it because like some of the worst takes on this I saw was like, oh, this is just the next step before like you just see people being able to create like essentially avatars for themselves. And we're just going to play it on, on a video game. Like college baseball is just going to turn into like college baseball and eventually pro baseball is just going to turn into MLB the show. And like it, to me, that's just one of those things where like, you know, well, you know, it's this and robo umps and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, listen, I'm pretty sure the robo ump thing is pretty damn bad to the point that like people would rather have a bad strike call from a human umpire than an unhittable strike call that is factually, statistically and robotically a strike that nobody on the planet could hit. Like, right. I'm pretty sure the robo ump thing is, is, is going to be kind of a moot point soon 
because of some of the pitches that are technically strikes that get called. But uh, I don't think wristbands to show the pitch call to your defense is something that's going to cause the game of baseball to go completely digital with no human aspect at all. Right. And, and I don't think we're getting there. Like, so honestly, I like the way the NFL did it this year. That, that sky judge thing was phenomenal. Yeah. You know what I mean? Where you didn't have to have a coach's challenge. You just, the guy looked at it and went, no, no, he got two feet in. That's a catch. So nobody, nobody had to throw a flag. There wasn't a six minute review process. They got the right call, which is what everybody wants. Anyways, even if you're on the other side of it, like, oh, you thought he had one foot in bounds and it had two feet. So it gave the team a first down. Even if you're the team that was playing defense, you're just happy that the right call was made. Right. Because you know, at some point it's going to come around for you as well. That's all you're trying to do is eliminate mistakes in a game. That's very fast with a lot going on. Yeah. And so, and, and, and umpires, it's, it's part of the game of baseball out and safe ball or strike has always been subjective to the umpire making the call at the time, especially strike zones. Everyone's a little bit different, but in a lot of different ways, baseball umpires aren't doing themselves any favors. For sure. I mean, you can have a wider strike zone. You can have a taller one as long as it's consistent and it's called both ways. Because what you have is, is like, you know, Angel Hernandez is the name that everyone wants to bring up because the ball is thrown in one spot and it's a strike and the very next pitch is in the exact same spot and it's a ball. Do you know what I mean? Or, or yeah. are a million and one different times that Angel just missed a call. <laughs> just, just flat out like he must have closed his eyes for that pitch. We're not sure how he's still employed. We're, we're confused. Yeah, no kidding. So uh, great conversation, man. I, I'd love to continue this. Uh, if you want to come on tip of the cap, I'd, I'd love to have you, you know, do this again and kind of rehash this conversation, but. Um, Ranton and Raven. <laughs> I mean, this, that's, that's going to wrap it for hat sets and sets. You guys got a little bit of a uh, little bit of football, a little bit of Super Bowl, a little bit of USFL, a lot of baseball there at the end. And uh, that's kind of what we're going to be. We're going to be all over the place going forward here. Uh, Hats, Hats, and Sats, part of the BACBP Radio Network, www.bacbp-radio.com. Click on the menu tab, click podcasts, click the sports tab, and then go to the Hats, Hats, and Sats logo. Find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, anywhere else you find your podcast from. Like, follow, share, subscribe, go on Facebook, Hats, Hats, and Stats Podcast, or at HTS underscore pod on Twitter and Instagram. Again, like, follow, share, subscribe there, and uh, tell your friends. Tune in to Hats, Hats, and Sats, a championship caliber podcast based in Buffalo, New York. Uh, Statman, good to have you back, bud. Thanks, buddy. Good, good talking to you. Yeah, and we'll uh, we'll catch you guys next week right here on Hats, Tats, and Stats. Hats, Tats, and Stats podcast is brought to you by Stinger Sports. Stinger Sports makes high-quality, fully custom sublimated uniforms and apparel that will have you looking great on and off the field. Get your custom-made pro-quality gear today at stingerwoodbats.com and put that S on your chest. Use promo code TIP OF THE CAP, all one word, for 10% off your order. Stinger Sports. Look great. Feel great. Play great.